All right, well, welcome to Big Valley Grace, uh, especially if this is your first time with us. Welcome to all of you that are watching online. Glad you're here. here here's something you don't hear very often in a, in a church. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. Guarantee you there's maybe one person here watching online that's ever been through Job chapter 19. But... Um, We'll get there in just a, a, a moment. Uh, something unbelievable is happening tomorrow at 10 o'clock down in the South County. Something we've been praying about here at Big Belly Grace for uh, a long time, a couple of years, a lot of energy, a lot of juice, a lot of time. Uh, shekels have gone into what's gonna happen down in the, in the South County. I want you to watch this quick video here just for a moment. Hello, Big Valley Grace Community Church, Modesto Campus. My name is Joel Boone, and I'm one of the campus pastors for the brand new Series Campus. And I'm Matt Apolito, also one of the campus pastors here in Series. And we wanted to invite you guys of two ways you could be praying for us as we open up this weekend. And the first one is the volunteers, those that are serving and leading here at this building. Be praying for protection in their homes and their lives, that they're full of joy and the Holy Spirit as they lead. And the second is those in this community who are going to be coming here this weekend and hearing the gospel message that the Lord really works through Joel and in their lives as they hear that. So those are two ways you'd be praying for us. We're excited to share the gospel. Thank you for praying and thank you for partnering with us as together, as an entire church family, we are launching Big Valley Grace series this Sunday. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you what, this is huge. This is huge. There are uh, very few churches that uh, even would dream about something like this. And not only did we dream, but we began to pray, and then we got up off our knees, and we said, okay, what do we got to do? And um, so at the dwelling place last Wednesday, we had one here. It was downtown, and they had one in series. They had the people who came write down the names of folks that they would hope would be there this Sunday the names of maybe some of their family members and friends who don't know the Lord. And I've got them right here in my hand. So I'm gonna ask you if, you, if you would, if you're physically able, could, could you just get on your knees for just a moment? I'm gonna pray for them and give you a moment maybe just quietly to pray for what's gonna happen down there tomorrow. A team shows up uh, well before 6 a.m. to set everything up. And they don't leave until after, you know, 12 o'clock, all the volunteers. So I'll give you a moment just to, to pray, okay? Father, thanks, Lord, for um, what's happening down in series tomorrow. Lord, I know a lot of people have prayed and sacrificed and given to make it happen. But it doesn't mean anything unless you're behind it. And we believe you are, God. I pray you would give all of the, the volunteers, a uh, hundred of them plus, just great rest tonight. As they have to wake up early and set everything up, Lord, may, may they sleep well. And then, Lord, I think about all these names that are in front of me. Howard and Sandy, Laura and Mindy, 
the, the, the person who picks up my, my garbage, uh, the man I work with, his name is Mr. can't pronounce it here, Lord, but you know who it is. It's a whole bunch of names. And I pray, God, that tomorrow, Lord, as Big Valley Grace series meets, that there'd be many there who are new, who don't know you, and maybe tomorrow would be the day of salvation for them, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us, and I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Um, watch, uh, you might, might want to just make sure you're checking our uh, Facebook page because we'll give you a bunch of data on how it goes there in, in series. Uh, so tomorrow, after I get done speaking, I'll uh, head to San Francisco and I'm leading a tour uh, of Israel and of, of people from here at Big Valley Grace. And if you want to check my Facebook page or the church's Facebook page, I'll be putting stuff on there every day about some of the places that we, you know, we're at. It could be we're just at the airport, and that's, that's quite a deal just to, you know, get to Israel is amazing. But uh, so check my Facebook page out. Check Big Valley's out. And over the next 10, 11 days, uh, you know, who knows how the Lord may use that in your life. Maybe you've never been. And it really is a trip of a lifetime. It really is the, the fifth gospel. You know, we, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but, but then there's the land of Israel. And uh, maybe, maybe someday in the future you'd be able to be a part of it. So the last 24 hours have been uh, really, really crummy for me. <laughs> uh, had a dog, name was Rocco, had him 17 and a half years. Okay, that's probably longer than some of you've been alive. He, he, we, we've had Rocco longer than we had our youngest son, Cade, who's 16. And uh, in dog years, he's like 120. It's just crazy. It's just crazy how long he lived. And so uh, he just got really bad. And this morning, uh, we had to take him into the vet and put him down, and it was just horrible. Just horrible. Some of you have been through that. It, it is just horrible. And so last night, it was not a good night. We, I was up all night, and today I've just been crying all day. I'm totally gassed. It's unbelievable. When you emote, the, the, the juice it just takes out of you, you know. Physiologically, it just takes a lot of juice out of you. But... Uh, Spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, has nothing to do with uh, Job, by the way, but <laughs> it did bring me some comfort to know that what I'm going through is nothing compared to Job. Anyway, I was thinking about uh, all the things that God has given us for our enjoyment. I was thinking about a Last night, my, my wife made these ginormous steaks. I mean, like, they, they were like, like ginormous. She cooked them perfect. God gave us food for our enjoyment. You eat a banana. There's nothing like a banana. Cutting open a watermelon, just, whoa. God gave us the 
the, the, the enjoyment of a well-written novel, the joy it, it brings you when, when you read. Or uh, it could be a, a, a wonderful conversation that you and a friend have over dinner or coffee. There's great enjoyment in that. And then, of course, God gave us these furry little things, dogs and cats, um, that just bring us enjoyment. That dog, for, for 17 years, met me at the door, tail wagging, never argued with me, never, just, just always positive. That, that guy was always positive. It was just unbelievable. <laughs> oh, you know, there are a lot of things that God has given us for our enjoyment. Pets are, are one of them. My son uh, once, uh, he wanted a pet. He's not here, he'll be here tomorrow, but he wanted a pet. It was a turtle. How do you snuggle with a turtle? I mean, you know what I'm saying? How do you, you can't put a turtle in your bed with you and wrestle around with it and take it for a walk. I mean, it, was, it, it just sat in its thing and stunk the room up. I, I, I don't know. But it's weird how that turtle brought my son uh, a lot of joy. There's no doubt about that. Well, if you're visiting with us, obviously, we're, we're in a series where we're going through the book of uh, Job together. We're not looking at every single verse. It would take us way too long, but um, I want to get us all on the same page, especially if you're visiting with us. Maybe you weren't able to be here last week or the week before, and I just want to make sure all of us are on the same page as it relates to this uh, story. And so I've kind of broke it down to about six things here, just real quick that I want to go through. And the first one is this, is that Job is a, a very wealthy and, and godly man. Okay, we read about that in Job chapter one. He, he's um, maybe the wealthiest man in the whole, you know, on the whole planet at the time. He would have been the Bill Gates of his day. Um, and he loved God deeply. I mean, he worshiped God. I mean, this was a man who was, who was faithful, and, and uh, if, he, if he would have lived today, he would have been a member of a church, and not just a member of a church, he would have belonged to a church. He, he would have served in a ministry somewhere. Maybe he would have been in the band, or maybe he would be you know, mentoring a young person or holding a baby. He would have been very engaged in the life of the church, okay, in a modern-day Context And so that's the first thing we learn about Job is that he's a very godly man. He cares deeply about God. The, the, the second thing, just to make sure we're all on the same page, is that God and Satan have a, a, a discussion or a debate about Job and, a reason, and, and, and the reasons why he loved and, and worshiped God. Okay? Now, we are brought into a conversation that Job never knows about. His friends never know about it. His wife never, you know, finds out about this conversation. We know about it because it's written for us in Scripture. But God has this conversation with Satan, and it was all about Job. And basically, Satan was saying, well, hey, 
hey, God, there's a reason why Job, you know, loves you. There's a reason why Job worships you and cares about you. There's a reason why Job is a member of the church and he, you know, gives his offering. There, there's a reason why, and that's because you, you, you kind of put a, put a hedge of protection around him. Some of you that are older will remember the cone of silence and get smart. Remember that the cone of silence, right? <laughs> well, you put a cone of silence around him. You, you, you put this force field around his life, and no wonder he, he, he likes you and loves you so much. But you take away that cone of silence, you, you take away that force field, you, 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 you kind of let his life go haywire and watch what happens. He'll, he'll curse you. He'll walk away from you. He won't want anything to do with you. And we read about that in Job 1 and 2. Number three, God allowed Satan to inflict Job with great pain and, and, and suffering by, by taking all of his wealth, literally in one foul swoop, Satan took everything he had. In one foul swoop, he lost all of his children. He had 10 kids, and literally in one day, they all died. And, and, and we know that God allowed it. Job doesn't know why this is happening to him. And then finally, Satan just goofs up his health, and he has these boils just all over him. And remember, Job has no idea that God has allowed this to happen. He doesn't know. All he knows is, man, I lost it all. I've lost all my wealth. I've lost all my influence, my affluence. I've lost it. And now we... He's sitting in a, basically a dump on the outskirts of town with a piece of broken pottery and he's scraping his, his sores. He's been reduced to like nothing, okay? The fourth thing I'll remind us all of is this, is through all of the pain and, and all of the suffering, Job honored the Lord. In Job's chapters one and two, you get to the end of it, he's, he's lost it all, and he honors the Lord. He, he, he doesn't reject God. He did, he did challenge God, and, and he's going to accuse God of some things, but he never rejects him. He doesn't say, ah, I'm not going to church anymore, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to mentor teenagers anymore. I'm not going to serve in the band anymore. Why would I do that? Didn't do any of that. Number five, in the midst of Job's pain and, and suffering, his friends, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, were really crummy to Joel. These three guys here that Job's lost, you know, all of his wealth and his kids have all been killed and he's got, you know, all these boils all over his body and they, they, they hear he's just fallen on incredible times and they show up. And, and they're, they're crummy. I don't know what other word to, to use. Then, then they were just crummy. They were not a help to Job at all. His friends basically bl blamed Job for all the pain and suffering he was going through. 
His three friends thought, man, you know what, Job? Here's why you lost everything. Here's why you lost your family. Here's why you're sitting in an ash heap with boils all over your body. It's because you got some sort of sin in your life. And God, God must be punishing you for something. I mean, look, you used to be Bill Gates, man. You used to have all the affluence in the world. You used to have all this influence. Everybody in town knew who you were. You were a pillar of society. Yeah, you, you knew God, and yeah, you talked about God, and yeah, you uplifted God, but you must have done something. Because the only way you'd find yourself where you're at right now has to be because of some, you know, hidden sin in your life or whatever. And what really has got to be getting to Job is that no, I haven't. I have honored God with my life. I'm being accused of, of, of sin or having some crummy thing happen in my life that I haven't repented of, and that's just not true. Now remember, we know why he's suffering. Job doesn't. His three friends don't. The townspeople have no idea. We know because we got to read Job chapter 1. But Job doesn't know. He has no clue. Obviously, his friends have no clue. And so they've come to the conclusion that it's got to be because of your sin that you're suffering. And by the way, nowhere, there's not one moment when Job ever finds out about that conversation between him and Satan. Never. God never tells him. Now, God's going to have some things to say, and I'll, I'll actually talk about that in a couple of weeks. It is, is one of the most fascinating moments because God hasn't spoken yet. He, we hear his voice in chapters 1 and 2, but Job hasn't heard that. We get to hear that. But when God does speak, and we're going to get there, Lord willing, in a, in a couple of weeks. Wow. God is going to blow your mind. Not just Job's mind. He's going to blow your mind too. So Job's friends, are they're struggling to try to figure this thing out. Like somehow it was their responsibility to figure it out. You know, we all have friends, right? Family members, and sometimes they get sick, right? Sometimes they're not doing very well. And sometimes it's easy to go, well, let me tell you why they're sick. Let me tell you why that happened to them. It happened to them because of X, Y, and Z. Who, who do you, what do you know? What do you know? Or maybe something happens to me in my life, and it's easy to go, well, let me tell you why that's happening to you know, Pastor Rick. It's got to be because of X, Y, and Z. Really? Do, do you really know? You have no idea what's happening in the heavenly realm. 
Job's three friends have no idea that God was the one who allowed Satan to do what he did. They think it's Job. And instead of keeping it to themselves, you know, they're just speaking and they're just doing more damage. Which brings me to number six. Job is in a very dark uh, place. By the time you get to, to chapter 19, Job, Job is in a really, really bad place. He's depressed and he's basically lost all hope. Man, here he is. I lost it all. And now, now my buddies, they all think there's some sin in my life. They, they, they think I've done something. And so, with all that said, let's walk through chapter 19 together, okay? Uh, look at verse one. Job, Job, by the way, Job is talking here, okay? He's responding to something that his friend Bill, uh, Bildad had said to him, which was just really crummy. He says this, then Job spoke again. Remember, he's there with his buddies. And they've just been kidney punching him with just stupid stuff. How long will you torture me? I've, I've, I've said things like that to friends before. Who thought maybe they were being encouraging. I didn't use those words, but it was like, dude, man, really? Aren't you, there, there's the door, man. Get out of here. The last thing I need to do is talk to you right now. How long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? He's talking to his friend, remember, Bildad. You have already insulted me 10 times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. So not only is Job suffering from losing his children and losing his wealth and losing his health, he, he's now suffering over what his friends have, have said to him. We've all maybe heard that old saying that goes like this. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. And I want you to know that's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Words can hurt you. Words are hurting Job. In fact, they're a form of torture to Job. And some of you can relate to that. You've had a friend or a spouse or a parent or a teacher or a coach or somebody who was just brutal to you and it was almost like torture. King David said this in Psalms 64. He said, hear me, O God, as I voice my complaint. Protect my life from the threat of the enemy. Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the noisy crowd of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their words like deadly arrows. You see, with a gun, you gotta be close by for me to hit you. But words are like an arrow. Man. Man, a word, he says, is like, it's like, a, it's like an arrow, man. 
It can be shot at a distance. <laughs> Today, th this was written long before there was Facebook and the send button or email and a send button. Literally, you can write an email and hit send and it can go literally pick a place. Africa, Canada, Mexico, Antarctica. Literally words, man, can just have an incredible impact on somebody who's not even around. We need to be careful when we write things, especially if you claim to know the Lord. Gotta be careful. It's unbelievable some of the things that people write and send off and they just don't have a clue. It's just obvious. You read it and you just go, yeah, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue about my life. They don't have a clue about your life, right? They don't know what you're going through. They don't know how you got to the decision you made, whatever that decision might be, but everybody feels like they can weigh in on it, right? You gotta be careful. I love what Proverbs says. The words of the godly encourage many. The words of the godly. People who are walking in fellowship with the Lord. I mean, they're really walking with Christ. Man, there's just something fresh about sitting with somebody who's godly. Proverbs chapter 25 says this, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstance. Wow, isn't that true? Man, when somebody comes with the right word, the right sentence, the, 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 the right, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, it's, it's beautiful. Our, our, our tongues can be used in some really special ways, can't they? All of us have experienced somebody who said something to us that was super encouraging. Maybe it was a prayer. Maybe it was just a hip, hip, hooray. Maybe, maybe it was just, man, I think you're doing a great job or I'm praying for you, whatever. And in the culture we live in today, man, we can do that with the internet, can't we? We can do that with our Facebook pages, our Instagram pages. We, 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 we can do that with our emails and texts and all of that, can't we? It's amazing the way we can actually talk to people. Now, I always think it's better to do it face to face but I'll take an encouraging text any day of the week over a crummy text. Because it doesn't matter whether I see it face to face or whether you write it. They both can have an incredible impact on, on our lives. Look at verse four. Job goes on, even if I have sinned, okay? All right, guys, even if I have. Let's just say you're right. Remember, he knows he's not right, they're not right. But let's just say you're right. That's my concern. Not yours. 
Remember, Job's friends thought that the reason he was suffering was because of some unrepentant sin in his life. You think you're better than I am, using my humiliation as evidence of my sin, but it is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. I, I cry out, help, but nobody answers. I, I protest, but there's no justice. I don't know what's going on, guys, but let's just say it is sin. It's none of your business. Man, I keep asking God for help. Hey, God, help me, will you? If nothing else, would you let these three idiots know it ain't because of sin? Can you at least do that? As he's scraping his boils with his pottery. Job is placing the blame for all that's happening to him squarely on God because he knew there was no unconfessed sin in his life. So in his mind, it had to be God. He's upset because God isn't answering his prayers. God's voice is nowhere to be found. Look at verse eight. God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. Remember, remember, Job used to be the wealthiest guy in town. He was given to all kinds of projects. I mean, he, 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 was, the, he was the man. Everybody knew him. He liked everybody. Everybody liked him. He was looked up to by all the people. And now he's kind of the laughing stock of the city. Look at verse 10. He has demolished me on every side, and, I, and I'm finished. He has uprooted my hope like a fallen tree. His fury burns against me. He, he counts me as an enemy. His troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent. Job really feels like God is angry at him. He believes that God sees him as an enemy. And by the way, it's easy for us to do the same thing when things go haywire in our lives, right? Or something goes haywire in someone we love's life, our grandpa's life, or our grandma's life, or our mom's life, dad's life, our children's lives, right? Our parents' lives. Something we don't like. Something to make us feel good. It's easy to to, to blame God and think that, well, what, what is this, man? Maybe I am an enemy of God. Maybe he doesn't like me anymore. I mean, why would he do this? Now, I want you to understand something. Romans chapter five says this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through his life, through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Let me, let me, let me, let me just kind of put that in a succinct sentence, okay? You were his enemy because of sin. You were an enemy of God. 
There was a time in my life when I was an enemy of God. Now, I never would have thought about it like that. If you would have asked me back before I gave my life to Christ, hey, you know, are you an enemy of God? I would have said, no, nah, what are you talking about? I'm not an enemy of God. You guys, you guys all want to go to church? Go to church. I don't care. You even do some good things. I don't care. I'm not hostile to God. I would not have considered myself an enemy of God. And maybe you're here. Maybe you're watching online or whatever. And you're thinking, well, I'm not an enemy of God. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Yeah, you are. All of us were. All of us were enemies of God at one time or another. But it was simply because of our relationship with Jesus that everything changed. John chapter 1 says this. He, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. He came to the Jewish people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, those who put their trust in him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. They're, they're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. You see, all of us were born once. We were born physically. All of us came out of a woman's womb. And that happened because a man and a woman, in most cases it's a mom and a dad, made love, and a sperm and an egg got together, and nine months later, guess what? You were born of human passion, right? Here you are. What, what, what John's talking about here has nothing to do with human passion, but it has everything to do with a God who drew you to himself and you were born again, not physically, but you were born again spiritually. When you gave your life to Christ, you went from being an enemy of God to being one of his children. The change was cataclysmic. you've surrendered your life over to Jesus, you're, you're a part of God's family. You're one of his children. So when things go haywire in your life, maybe not to the degree, you know, that Job went through where you lost all your wealth and lost 10 kids and you're sitting out in the back alley, you know, scraping your sores with, you know, pottery. But when things go crazy in your life, Christian, I don't want you to ever go, man, God must, you know, he's angry with me or I'm his enemy, or he doesn't like me anymore, or he kicked me out of the family, or whatever. Because that's not true. It's not true. But it's easy to get to where Job is, right? When, when things do go haywire, when things don't go the way you want them to go, when things seem to be falling apart, it's easy to think, well, man, he, he's, he's mad at me, he's angry with me, he's not, not listening to me anymore. And maybe one of the things we can learn from this is that a good friend will come and remind you, Christian, not point the finger and say, you must be sinning. Your life, you know, here's why. But maybe you would be the one who would remind that Christian that you're still loved by God, even though you may not understand all that's going on. Look, look, look at verse uh, 13. My relatives stay far away. And my friends have turned against me. My family's gone, and my close friends have forgotten me. My, my servants and maids consider me a stranger. I'm like a foreigner to them. When I call my servant, he didn't come. I have to plead with him. 
My breath is repulsive to my wife. I'm rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. My close friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I've been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. And this is just super weighty here. It's just, we're just, we're reading a man's diary is what we're reading. 3,000 plus years old. Makes you sad when, when you read it. So here you got a guy who lost all his wealth. He lost his kids. He, he lost his health. He's got all these sores and boils all over his body. He lost his standing in the community. His wife can't stand to be around him. His relatives now want nothing to do with him. He can't get any of his servants to help him. His friends are no, no help to him. And because of everything he's been through, he's now but skin and bone. He's lost a ton of weight. He can't eat, he can't keep food down. Just the depression of losing everything, his kids and all that, 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 that alone, right? We've all, most of us have probably lost a loved one and man, it does something to your diet, it does something to you and you, you just lose some weight and now you add in all the you know, health problems and he's just losing weight and man, Hey, all the kids used to come around me because I used to hand out candy to them and they all loved me. Hey, there's Job, there's Job. Hey, what a fun guy he is. They don't even want to be around me anymore. They hate me. I'm finding out my wife only loved me because I had a good breath. <laughs> it stinks. What happened? My servants, yeah, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still paying them something. They won't even help me. They don't even be around me anymore. Look at verse 21. Have mercy on me, my friends. Wow. Have mercy, for the hand of God has struck me. Must you also persecute me like, like God does? Haven't you chewed me up enough? This is brutal. Guys, you don't understand. I'm not, I didn't do any sinful things. Man, I didn't go out and rob a bank. I didn't kill anybody. All I did was just walk with God. I was just walking with God. I was just serving at my church, man. I was just discipling kids. I was just playing in the band. I was just faithful to my wife. Prayed for my kids every night. Uh, guys, this is, yeah, God's jacking me and now you guys are. Can you have mercy on me? Jeez. Look at verse 23. This is just classic. Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument carved with, with an iron chisel and filled with lead engraved forever in the, in the rock. You know what he's saying there? Look, I'm going to die someday. And everybody's going to think it was my sin. Everybody's going to think it was that, that somehow I had done something crummy. 
And maybe after I'm long gone, maybe if my, my life story, what I'm telling everybody, that I haven't sinned, I haven't done anything, if we could just chisel that into a rock and we could pour lead into the wording, maybe long after I'm dead, people will go, oh, remember that Job guy? You see, maybe somewhere in the future it'll come out. The truth will come out in the future. And so I just got to chisel it into a rock and put lead in the wording. That way, when it finally does come out that it wasn't because of my sin, people will go, oh, man. See, Job was right. It wasn't his sin. See what he's doing? Oh, I'm going to die, and everybody's going to think I'm the loser. Who's going to plead my case when I'm dead? Oh, I wish I could just chisel it into a rock so people would know that it wasn't because of my sin and God answered that prayer. Everybody hold up your Bible. Here it is. It was chiseled into rock. We all know that Job is suffering not because of his sin. He's suffering because God is allowing it. And we know that. Not only was his words chiseled into rock, not only was there lead poured into those words, but literally forever and ever and ever, these words will remain and people will know it had nothing to do with Job's sin. Guess what, guess what I'm doing right now? I'm telling you what Job hoped would be told to you. It wasn't my sin, folks. Hey, you people in Modesto, it wasn't my sin, trust me. Yeah, my life stinks right now and I lost everything and I'm gonna be dead here pretty quick. I know you probably think it's, be no, it has nothing to do with that. And we already know that anyway because of Job chapter one, don't we? We know of a discussion that went down between Job I mean, between God and Satan. We, we already know what the truth is. But at the time Job was writing this, look at, um, look at verse five. The, the, these next three verses are simply the, the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, there's no doubt as we've gone through this that Job is in a, a low, low, low point. He's super depressed. He's bummed out. I'm saying he's depressed would be the understatement of the year. This might be the lowest point in, you know, the, the, the book of Job. He, he's way down. He's in the pit of all pits. But something happens He's now going to go from being in the pit of all pits with his buddies all sitting around him to going to the highest of highs. Because out of nowhere, verse 25, he says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will, and he will stand upon the earth at last and after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I'm overwhelmed at this thought. Okay, ho! I mean, out of nowhere. This is one of the great songs have been written about the fact that our Redeemer lives. 
He's down. Oh, this is horrible. This is crummy. I can't do it. Have mercy on me. Oh, God. Hey, but here's what I do know. It's, all, it's, like, it's like the Holy Spirit just bam came upon his life. And the Holy Spirit worked differently in the Old Testament than it does in the New Testament. But it was almost as if there's this holy moment. What, what one theologian called this the magnificent burst of faith. These three verses are pretty remarkable. Somehow, some way, in the midst of all of the pain and suffering that Job was experiencing, all the depression and anguish that he was experiencing, the Holy Spirit cut through it all and laid this great truth on his mind and heart. Think about it. Here we have Job at the lowest point of his life, right? He's in great despair. God supernaturally through the Holy Spirit reminds him of one of the greatest truths that we have as believers, which is the truth that our Redeemer lives, that Jesus lives. He's alive and well, and there's coming a day when these crummy bodies of ours will be made new. There's coming a day when we'll stand before our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, forever and ever and ever. We'll actually see him with our own two eyes, and that's exactly what Job is saying here. Hey, this body of mine is a mess. I'm barely alive, I'm skin and bones. I got boils all over my body. I'm about ready to die. This is horrible, but there's coming a day. There's coming a day. After my body's decayed, yet in my body, how's that gonna happen? I will see God. He's talking about that day. When we leave this crummy planet here, we call it glorification. That's the big $10 theological word. Glorification is when you, you, you cross the finish line. See, the nice thing about a race, like, like imagine, you know, a 100-yard dash is the finish line. You know when you finished. <laughs> okay, finished. Or you run a mile, you know, four laps around the track finished. Even a marathon, right? Stupid. Four, 20, like 24 miles. What's the point of that? Or 26 miles. I don't know. 26 miles. Who wants to do that? I mean, I mean those, are, those are not well people. Anyway, hey, but guess what? You, you cross the line, you finished. Could you imagine a race? All right, you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay, you ready to go? I'm ready. All right, ready to go? I'm ready. All right, go! And there's no finish line. Just keep running. Your life isn't like that. There's a finish line. There's a finish line. How crummy would it be if... Well, what do I do? I don't know. Just keep working. No, no. There's a finish line. In the Bible, the biblical word, as I told you, is glorification. There's a moment. All right, finished. You know what that is? When you take your last breath here, Christian, and your next breath is in glory. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, baby. Yeah. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. New bodies, no more hair coming out our ears. You know, no more, no more hair coming out our nostrils. No more anti-inflammatories. You know what I'm saying? No more, no more health care needed. No more, no more, no more pharmaceutical companies. 
No more, no more funeral homes. No, no more cemeteries. No more Kleenexes. No, no, no more. No more eye drops. No more. No more. You'll have a new body. This one's going to decay. This one doesn't get to go to heaven. This one's goofed up with sin. This is the headquarters of sin. All this body does is connect you to the physical down here. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And when you die, when you take your last breath, yeah, everybody's going to cry. And you should cry. Death is hard. They'll put you in a pine box and drop you down on the ground, however it is, six, eight feet, put dirt over you, and people will cry. And about a year later, guess what? No one's crying anymore. <laughs> Here's the deal. You're not there, Christian. You're not there. You're up in glory with a brand new body. I will see him, the Redeemer. He didn't know who the Redeemer was. Obviously, that's the Old Testament. We know who the Redeemer actually is. It's Jesus. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. And let me just tell you, as cruddy as this is, as cruddy as losing all my wealth and losing my kids, as crummy as all these boils are on my body, as crummy as it is to have these losers for friends, as crummy as it is to have lost my reputation, as crummy as it is to think that the world will think that I have somehow sinned, let me tell you something, I'm overwhelmed with the thought that there's coming a day when I will cross the finish line. Now, his flesh is going to get the better of him. This is one of those great Holy Spirit moments. Zero one in verse 25. Do I have that? Do I have just verse 25? And I know I'm, I'm going long here, but I'll, I'll wrap it up. He says, but as for me, I know that my To Job, this is very personal. He had made a decision that he was going to follow God. And following God back in biblical day or you know, back when he was alive 3,000 years ago is obviously different than it is today. Job didn't have this. But he made a decision, a personal decision. Hey, here's the deal. But as for me, by the way, that's a phrase you see often in the Bible. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Who said that? Joshua. Hey, the Lord is my shepherd. Who said that? David. David. You see, your relationship with God has to be your relationship with God. I don't know whether you could say that. I don't know. But as for me, Job says, I just want you to ask for me. I know. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know it. I know he's my Redeemer. He may not be your Redeemer. He may not be your Redeemer. He may not be your Redeemer. I don't know if he's your Redeemer. I can only speak for myself. I know that my Redeemer lives. And because I know that, here's what I know to be true. 
And let me just tell you, I think that the greatest thing I can do as I wrap this up is to maybe give you a second to think that question through. Is God, is Jesus your redeemer? Or is he your parents' redeemer? Is, is Jesus your redeemer? Or is he your kid's redeemer? Is, is Jesus your redeemer? Or is it your grandparents' redeemer? You see, you gotta come to grips with this idea that the redeemer lives. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John chapter three. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but they would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, whoever would make the decision that my redeemer lives, that Jesus lives, you gotta make that decision on your own. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see, here's the deal. You can be in the 19th chapter of Job, or you can be in the third chapter of John, and it's all about the Redeemer. The whole book is all about the Redeemer. In the Old Testament, they didn't know who the Redeemer was. All Job knew was that, you know what, he's coming someday and he's alive. And because of that belief, he knew he'd be with God forever. Today, we know who the Redeemer is, right? It's Jesus. And so we don't put our trust in just any Redeemer. We put our trust in Jesus. And when you do that, guess what? You'll spend your eternity with him. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Greatest decision you'll ever make. And when troubles and trials come into your life, brothers and sisters, and they're going to, May, may somehow what Job said resonate in your mind. May the Holy Spirit bring to your mind the same truth that the Holy Spirit brought to Job's mind. That your Redeemer lives. And though this body's gonna end up in a casket, someday you will stand before him and see him face to face in a brand new body and may that truth bring comfort and encouragement to your life. Okay, everybody stand up. Father, thanks, Lord, for a chance to be together tonight and worship you through singing and communion and hearing the word and giving our offerings. Lord, it's been great, God. Thank you for this story of Job that you preserved for us. There's so much in it that we can learn from. Give us a great evening, and I pray these things in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Okay, Lord bless you. Live for Christ. Go get your kids. Hurry up. Go, 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 go.